You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, praise the Lord. Good song tonight, appreciate it again. I'm going to have you open your Bibles. We are in Joshua 22. Joshua chapter 22, as you make your way back there, working our way through some highlights in Joshua's life. My intention was not to preach through the entire book of Joshua, but to look at that man's life and his character and how God used him. And um, yet, it's hard not to preach the events that take place here in, um, in the book of Joshua. So I uh, want to look at a familiar passage. Those of you that have been in our church for a lot of years, <clears throat> I've preached this passage before. I've probably given it the same title, uh, Jumping to Conclusions, but um, I'm gonna, we're going to look at this passage again here in just a moment. Um, so in Joshua chapter 22, if you'll remember... Israel has now fought their battles. They've crossed over the Jordan River. They're in Canaan land now. Remember, Jericho has come down, and uh, they've made their way through now. And if you'll read the previous chapters, you'll find out how God literally wiped out um, kingdom after kingdom after kingdom, systematically removing the enemy of God and those people who took such an ugly stand in the sins of this world. And so God used his people to do that, and now we've come to an end of uh, most of those battles. There's still some other skirmishes, and there's some other places that later on really should be taken care of, but largely speaking, the great battle is done, and with that in mind, then we can get to um, the passage where we are here tonight in Joshua chapter 22, and follow along with me. We'll read several verses, so try to stay with me carefully, and not get distracted. So in verse 1, it says, Then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said unto them, Ye have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. Ye have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God hath given rest unto your brethren... As he promised them, therefore now return ye and get you unto your tents and unto the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side, Jordan. That was before they actually crossed over. Do you remember that? They begged that they could stay there. Verse 5, but listen to what he says. Take diligent heed to do the commandment of the law and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you. To love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went unto their tents. Now they're going to head back over across the Jordan River. Drop down to verse 10. And when they came unto the borders of Jordan, that's the Jordan River, that are in the land of Canaan, The children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, those two and a half tribes, built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see 
too. This is really a big thing happening right now. Um, why are you building an altar? What's, what's going on here? And there will be questions about this, as you'll see very soon. So in verse 11, and the children of Israel, if you don't have these two words underlined, guys, it really needs to be underlined. And if you could somehow put a strobe light on these two words so that every time you read your Bible, it would strobe your eyes, man, you ought to. And if the children and, and the children of Israel heard say, behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, listen to this, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh. Now what are they going to do? Go up and worship with them? No, to go up to war against them. They want to wipe their brothers out. And the children of Israel sent unto the children of Reuben and to the children of Gad and to the half-tribe of Manasseh into the land of Gilead that's on the other side of the Jordan. Here's who went over to talk to them. Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten princes of each um, chief house of uh, a prince throughout all the tribes of Israel. And each one was an head of the house of their fathers among the thousands of Israel. And they came unto the children of Reuben and to the children of Gad and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, unto the land of Gilead. And they spake with them, saying... Now, let me ask you, what, what, what do you think they should say? Guys, we found out you've built an altar. We'd like to find out what's going on here. And is everything okay? That's not quite the way it was worded. Listen to what they say in verse 16. Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord, What trespass is this that ye have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord and that ye have builded you an altar that ye might rebel this day against the Lord. Now they're very clear. They're pretty sure they know what's going on. They're telling them, why have you built an altar to rebel against God, you rebels? That's pretty much what they have said. First thing they say, verse 17, is the iniquity of Peor too little for us from which we are not cleansed until this day he's bringing them up bringing up to them another uh, event that happened in their horrible history of their um, walk with God where they got away from God there although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord and it'll be seeing you rebel today against the Lord that tomorrow he will be wroth he's basically saying not just with you guys but with the whole congregation of Israel notwithstanding if the land of your possession be unclean then pass ye over unto the land of the possession of the lord wherein the lord's tabernacle dwelleth and take possession among us but rebel not against the lord nor rebel against us in building you an altar beside the altar of the lord our god the one back at the tabernacle is what they were saying and now they're going to compare them to somebody else now uh, the, the sin of Baal Peor was another one that they compared him to. Now, let's compare him to somebody else. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing? And wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel. And that man, remember uh, Achan, his, oh, his Achan body. And wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel. And that man perished not alone in his iniquity. Verse 21. So finally they get a chance to speak. 
Would have been nice if they'd have said, you guys have anything to say about this before we get started? But this is the first opportunity to talk. Verse 21. Then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said unto the heads of the thousands of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods he knoweth, and Israel he shall know, if it be in rebellion or if in transgression against the Lord, save us not this day. Thus we have built us an altar um, that, I'm sorry, that we have built as an altar to turn from following the Lord or if to offer their, uh, thereon burnt offering or meat offering or if to offer peace offerings thereon. Let the Lord himself require it. God can bring us to account, in other words. And if we have not rather done it, and here they give, he basically said, if we've done it for bad reasons, God's going to judge us. But listen to what he said in verse 24. And if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, saying, in time to come, your children might speak unto our children, saying, what have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord hath made Jordan, that big river of Jordan there, a border between us and you. Ye children of Reuben and children of Gad, ye have no part uh, in the Lord. So shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, now we, did, we wanted to try to prevent that from happening. So here was our idea, verse 26. Let us now uh, prepare to build as an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between us and you, and our generations after us, that we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings, that your children may not say to our children in time to come that ye have no part in the Lord. They don't want that to happen. Therefore said we that it shall be when they should so say to us or to our generations in time to come that we may say again, behold, they'll point to this altar they just built they'll say behold the pattern of the altar of the lord which our fathers made uh, not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices but it is a witness between us and you god forbid that we should rebel against the lord and turn this day from following the lord to build an altar for burnt offerings for meat offerings or for sacrifices beside the altar of the lord our god that is before his tabernacle hey before i finish up um you weren't god was very very clear that if you're going to offer sacrifice where the place you bowed down and worship god was at the altar around the tabernacle that you were not to just put up this uh, little thing of your own where you could just out on your own in a place all by yourself making up your own little religion where you can just decide to serve god wherever you want to god wanted his people brought together in unity around shekinah glory so now listen to verse 30 so they just explained themselves they made the situation very clear verse 30 and when phineas the priest and the princes of the congregation and heads of the thousands of israel which were with him heard the words that the children of reuben and the children of gad and the children of manasseh spake it pleased them and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said unto the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, 
because ye have not committed this trespass against the Lord. Now ye have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and the princes returned from the children of Reuben and from the children of Gad out of the land of Gilead, unto the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel, and brought them word again. And the thing pleased the children of Israel. And the children of Israel blessed God and did not intend to go up against them in battle to destroy the land wherein the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar Ed, for it shall be a witness between us that the Lord is God. Let me pray there. Father, thank you for your word uh, and an example in Scripture that will help us, God, to maybe take a little closer look at ourselves tonight and be mindful of our words and our thoughts and our actions as we interact uh, one with another in this lifetime here. We love you, Lord, and I would ask your uh, rich blessing and your anointing on the preaching tonight. God, please help me, and I'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When I look backwards in my life, <clears throat> and um, even all the way back to the time of being a child, I, I remember some decisions that I have made in my lifetime that a thought hit me, and I, I just really strongly wanted to do something, and, and moving into my teenage years, maybe it was a purchase that I made, or maybe a decision with a friend, or it just whatever it might have been. I remember some snap decisions that I made that were either, number one, very embarrassing or very hurtful um, or brought a lot of shame into my life. And I, after I sat back after the event happened and I thought it through and I took my time thinking about what I had just said or something I had just done, <clears throat> after careful thought was given to it, made a whole lot of sense how foolish I had been. But those decisions that I have made that have been very carefully made, those where God's Holy Spirit was uh, leading and guiding me and I took the time to, to get alone with the Lord and just to talk to God and say, God, I, I need some direction on this. I think I have a sense of what I would like to do, but I don't know if this is what I should do. And um, and and. Uh, you know, just let God slowly, carefully, in a calculated, spirit-led way guide me to a full understanding of what would have been right for my life. Those have been the decisions that have been most blessed in my life. Um, I, I would dare say amongst our congregation, those snap decisions, by the way, um, there's not, probably not too many people in here who don't have things in the back of your closet or down in the basement or in the corner of your garage that were probably purchased in about five seconds decision. Because you just had to have that thing, and you may have used it a time or two, but once the thrill was over, then it lost its glitter, and the thing that you thought you needed so badly is now really not a need at all. It's because we've made a snap decision. There's so many decisions made in the Christian life. We come to conclusions so quickly and we don't allow God to lead us in a careful, prayerful way without searching out all the details and knowing all, all of those facts. That's exactly what has taken place here tonight in this passage of Scripture. Here's a group of people. They saw something. 
they were stirred in a, I mean a tremendous way. I mean so much so they would have gone and killed their brethren. And no doubt, some of the half-tribe of Manasseh had half of their family on one side of the river and the other half was on the other side of the river, no doubt. I mean, families were divided and yet families were about to go up against each other and take their life on a snap decision that they had made. Man, they were ready to do it too. It was a big deal. I understand why. I realized the judgment of God fell upon them for other dumb things that had been done. But in the process of trying to make sure something dumb wasn't done, don't do another dumb thing on your journey to that. Many of us have done that. We've jumped to conclusions. We didn't arrive at this decision or, or this conclusion by a careful, prayerful searching out of the facts, wanting to know what the truth really is about a matter very carefully, letting God slowly and carefully bring me to a proper conclusion rather than jumping to something that really had nothing to do with the plan of God but was all about my impulse and my, maybe my adrenaline, my emotions that got to running. That is definitely what was going on. In, in this passage of Scripture. Again, I get it and I understand it. They didn't want to go down again, but they needed to learn how to go about this in a more godly way. <clears throat> so first of all, we find out the story gets set up there in those first six verses. Those two and a half tribes of Israel <clears throat> were allowed to now go back over into Gilead or back on the east side of the Jordan River. You guys remember that story back in Numbers chapter 32? make a good devotion for you to go back and read that after church or back home tonight or in the morning. In Numbers 32, the children of Israel were ready to pass on across the Jordan River, and um, <clears throat> they came and, and was talking to um, Moses and said, hey, look, we've got a lot of grass over on this side, and we have a lot of cattle, and it would just be a really nice place for us. We've killed Og and all the kingdoms over here are wiped out. And uh, you think we could stay over here on this side? We'll go over across the river with you. We'll fight the battle with all the Canaanites. We'll help you wipe them out. And we promise we'll stay with you to the end until the last man is, is wiped out, the last kingdom has been secured. And then if you would allow us to then go on back across Jordan River, we'll take up our possession, our, our, our wives and our children and the elderly They'll stay over here. They can inhabit some of the places that were already built here and some of the places for cattle and so forth. And they'll stay here, but we promise we will give our heart and soul uh, when we go across the river to be able to serve with you guys. We want the same thing that you guys want. And so <clears throat> Moses told them if they'd be faithful to fight uh, with those other nine and a half tribes, sure enough, I'm going to let you do that. So now, Israel is now in possession of the land on the west of Jordan, and those other two and a half tribes, they had fulfilled their promise, and Joshua sends them on uh, with uh, his blessing with their cattle, and, and man, if you read the whole chapter here, I skipped over a few verses, but they go home with a whole lot of spoils. I mean, um, they had uh, lots of things, probably no doubt mounted on uh, some kind of animal to help carry them back across the river. But Israel had wiped out kingdom after kingdom after kingdom, and all of their land and possessions was now theirs. They really were rich in very many ways. I mean, number one, rich in the Lord, but rich from all the uh, spoils that they had taken from the people, and all those items were to be carried across with those, uh, at least the uh, portion of the two and a half tribes got to go with them. <clears throat> and then the accusations came in. 
against those two and a half tribes, verses uh, 10 to 12. And somebody come running up and said, uh, we heard say that, and honestly, I just want to stop and just start preaching on heard say. We use another word for it today. It's really close to that, hearsay. Uh, we hear say that <clears throat> uh, those other two and a half tribes, they've built an altar. And, uh, and I'm going to fill in the blanks for what everybody was thinking. And you know why they've built that altar. They've built an altar to offer to some God. And you know what God has taught us about uh, you know, uh, worshiping God. And man, the embellishment starts to kick in. And they really make it nice and juicy because people love juicy stories. And if you can watch their eyeballs light up and make people... Uh, look like they're really interested in what you have to say. Some people love nothing more than to be the first person to tell the story. Anybody know anybody like that? They just love running around and spreading that. You know the word that follows that. And they got there and they were saying, you know, they built this altar. And you know good and well what they're doing with that. They're going to offer some sacrifice. Now they may say it's to our God, but you know God told us to do it back around the tabernacle, around this altar and this altar alone. And who knows? Maybe they might even be offering sacrifice to some strange God. And all the entire nine and a half tribes of Israel on this side of Jordan, they mounted up, man, they grabbed their spears and swords. Their hearts were lit up. Their eyes were red and aflame. And they're ready to go and do battle, guys, and ready to kill their brethren. I'm so glad that spirit does not exist any longer in uh, uh, Christianity today. I'm so glad we're not ready to take our brethren out and we're not ready to go and, and jump on the bandwagon and agree with everybody that, yep, sure enough, I bet that's what they're doing. They've really gone off the deep end, buddy. I, I know it. Well, do you know that for sure? Well, that's what I heard. And you know if you heard it, it's got to be true. Or if it's on the internet, one or the other, it's got to be true. People talk about uh, Facebook and I've Really, I don't think I have an account on Facebook. Is that what you have to get as an account? Um, uh, and I wouldn't mind being on there to see my pictures of my grandkids. I really, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind even communicating with some people. But it's become such a, um, a tool of Satan if you're not careful, guys. It really is. All, all of our social media, any kind of communication, our social media can become something that is so wicked if you're not careful if you don't have some personal controls set up in your own heart and mind you will jump to conclusions every day on those social media outlets you will if you're not being careful so again apparently somebody some person ran they saw this altar going up they ran back and told what was going on and uh, so when the leaders when they, they mount up, and they didn't bring the whole nine and a half tribes over with their swords and shields, but they sent their leaders over there to talk to them. And when the leaders get to them, they begin. They didn't sit down and say, hey, look, we've heard say that. Here's what we've been hearing. But I want to give you a chance to tell the truth. So can you just let us know what's, what's going on here with this huge altar? You've set it up so high on a hill like this, and everybody around can see this, and don't you think it's a little obvious what this looks like? But we're not, I'm not going to say anything, but I, I just like to hear what you have to say about this. You didn't hear any of that. They come up, and the very first thing out of their mouth is, boom, they start accusing them and telling them exactly what they have been doing. Not it looks like, but you guys have rebelled against the Lord. You've built an altar to rebel against the Lord. That's their wording. Um, they asked them uh, if the iniquity of Peor was not enough of a sin for their nation. 
Now, guys, if you want to go back to Baal, Peor, they fell a lusting after Baal, a false small g god, and God had to send a plague upon them. And listen, 24,000 of them were killed. Do you understand what we just said? 24,000 of Israel was slain because of the plague that came into their, God had to correct them because they went off worshiping um, these idols and so forth. And uh, they chided them that the whole nation was going to suffer for their sin, for what you guys have done. We're all going to have to suffer for what you guys have so foolishly done against us. I would love to have seen the other two and a half tribes' faces while they're standing there. Have you ever tried to interject a conversation when somebody is just burning and they're just, just, they're lit up after you and you're like, well, but, and they don't give you a chance to say anything. You don't hear anything from the other two and a half tribes. Till they finally hush but then they reminded them about Achan taking this accursed thing and how the whole congregation had suffered for that one man's sin and I I do remember that I mean 36 men were killed because of that one man's sin the curse of God was on the whole nation not just upon Achan's family but judgment is just dripping from the lips of these leaders that have now come to straighten out these two and a half tribes Reuben and Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh and they poured it on thirdly tonight then those two and a half tribes they finally get a chance to speak (laughs) that's a good day when somebody finally stops railing on you and arguing with you and jumping all over you and finally they hush up and you get a chance to speak And they begin to explain themselves there. Verse 21, it goes way on down through there. And they took the time to slowly build it up. And they basically said, look, if we've sinned against God, then let God judge us for that. But they did explain to them that this altar was not to replace the true altar uh, of worship back at the tabernacle. This altar was apparently built as a replica. And if you read there, it's the way it makes it sound like. It was built to look just like the altar back... um, at the tabernacle it was a replica of the true altar at the tabernacle and it was also built up no doubt the way it sounds like very high and possibly very large for eyes to be able to see it from a great distance and wherever you were you might be able to turn and look and see at least a, a tip or the top of this altar to remind them of why they were actually building that altar But they assure them, guys, that this wasn't an altar to sacrifice on and to replace the altar that God commanded them to sacrifice at. Uh, I mean, you can see where suspicion would be raised, though. I understand that. But they should never have come charging in with, you know, basically, basically with swords and spears and ready to wipe them out before they had a chance to hear them out. So the explanation for it was that it was built for future generations. Did you remember what they said about that? And they basically said, as the years went by, our children will grow up and we're going to be long gone. Your children over here are going to grow up and then you guys will be long gone. And your children will be the adults now and and they'll come over and they will see these other so-called two and a half tribes of Israel and they'll say, you know, this Jordan River is an obvious separation that God has placed between us and you. And the truth of the matter is God has separated you from us and you guys really don't have anything to do with you know, the true worship of God over here uh, around the tabernacle. 
And they said, we don't want that to happen. And we want it to be such that when your children and our children come together and we see this uh, altar named Ed, we want it to be a remembrance to them that we have everything to do with the God of Israel. Our hearts are as just as strongly committed to God as the day that we were fighting the battle on this side. We believe in the God of Israel as strongly as the, as the day God convicted us and led us to have a part in the nation of Israel. We've not waned one little bit. Our hearts are knit with God. And they said, we want you to know and we want your children to know that we're not separating from God. We're not choosing to worship another God or even to worship our God in a different way. We want you to know and our children and their children to know that we serve the same God. That's really important to understand. So they built this altar replica solely as a witness to future generations that their God was also their God. So Israel's response to them in verses 30 to 34. I won't go through and read all that again. You know what I envisioned them saying? Hey, listen, guys. When those two and a half tribes said all that I just said to you, to these other nine and a half tribes over here, to me it was almost like Phineas said, oh, well, should have said so. <laughs> and, and all of this ruckus was caused because you guys didn't know the true story and were not willing to find the truth out ahead of time. So Israel has... I gotta say, Israel's had a continual problem with not fact checking before acting. Would you agree with me on that? They've had a continual problem with not fact checking before acting. Uh, they didn't pray for God's mind about going up against AI. We already talked about that. They felt like things were okay. And so they went up and had no idea that somebody had put a, a, a curse on the whole nation of Israel. And had they just prayed ahead of time and sought the Lord, and God, is your, is your hand of blessing going to be on us as we go up against this little city of Ai? God would have told them clearly right away, no way, you have an, uh, an accursed thing hidden in the tents of Israel. But they didn't pray about that. They went ahead and it cost them dearly. And then they have this emotional conversation with Gibeon, the Gibeonites, remember that. The Gibeonites come up with their moldy bread and their clouded shoes and their clothing and all that. And, and, uh, and they say, can you make a pact with us? We're so poor and needy. Would you please, please, please let us be a part of you? Uh, what do you think, guys? Yeah, okay. And uh, I know it wasn't that fast, but it might as well have been. Not one hint of prayer, not one uh, fact-checking mission to find out if you really are from far away like they said they were from. And then, guys, here tonight... Is just another example of a total lack of fact-checking before going into such a severe action. Verse 11 is so telling uh, concerning the problem with the Israelites. Go back there with me now in verse 11. And the children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and there on and on they go. The children of Israel heard say they were going on pure hearsay and i want to say something to our congregation praise god for the prophets those who have the gift of prophecy in our church in other words those who can see the black and white of things 
They, know, they can see what's right and what's wrong so quickly. And I'm so glad we have people that are concerned about doing things the right way. And I'm thankful to God for men and women in our, in our church like that. We need people like, like that in our churches. But guys, listen to me. But the prophets and the congregations would be so much better served if they would be more teacher-like and check the facts before they act. Again, we call this jumping to conclusions rather than checking the facts and then coming to a godly conclusion. You, you look at something with your eyeballs, you see it, and you come up with some kind of very snap decision and, and you go into action and it, it just brings so many heartaches and heartbreaks into people's lives. You know, it's, it's, it's much easier to be critical than to be correct. Can you think about that for a minute? It's so much easier to be a critical person than a correct person. Being critical can happen just like that. I can look at you and I can say that there's not a person in here interested in what I'm saying right now. Every one of you look like you're ready to drop off asleep. But I know you're not, right? You're really interested, right? <laughs> I mean, your heart's really with me tonight, right? Yeah, and I, and I know that. I could make some kind of a decision like that without checking the facts. You could, you could look at your neighbor. You could look at somebody else here at Eastside Baptist Church and say, I heard say, I saw this. Somebody, listen to me, somebody told me this about so-and-so. And, and, uh, and, and instantly, our minds are so productive at working out conclusions and just knowing what it was all about instantly. We're so smart at hearsay. When you tear people's lives apart congregations have been torn apart families aren't aren't speaking to each other anymore because people have acted on hearsay and we've gone into action and tried to go against somebody and take them down you say i wasn't trying to take them down i mean that wasn't my goal but what was your goal think about it what were you really trying to do i just wanted the truth to be known if you wanted the truth to be known, then find out what the truth is. You are not the good, uh, the best truth detector. I promise you, you're not. There's not a human being in here that is uh, excellent at that. I want to have you hold your place here. Run backwards to Matthew 7 with me real quick. Matthew 7. Everybody there? Matthew 7, with, look with me in verse 1. If you follow along, let's read, uh, follow along, go, go down with me into verse, all the way to verse 6. Verse 1, the Bible is very clear, to judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, a little speck of sawdust, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. You say, that's ridiculous, and I agree. But that's the way a lot of Christians live. Verse 4, Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before the swine lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Let's go backwards now, back to uh, Joshua. <clears throat> the problem with uh, Christianity and jumping to conclusions is, is, guys, you don't have the full vision that you need to have 
to make the judgment that only God can make. If it's from the Word of God, or if God has very clearly allowed you to find out the facts about something, then you know what the facts are. But human, human life, humanity, by ourselves, even though we are saved, walk around with beams in our eyes, and there's things that need to be cleared up before you and I are able to go to a brother or a sister and to judge them about something they've said, something they've done wrong. Uh, your heart is turned against someone because I heard they said this about me. Friend, have you, have you found out all the facts? You say, well, so-and-so told me this, and there was three or four people have told me this. Well, that's great, but do you know the facts? Without doubt, would you place your salvation on it? That you know it's right. Well, you put it like that. Well, God does. He's not asking you to put your salvation up against it. That's not what he's saying. God is very clearly teaching his children today. Just because your eyes have beheld something and somebody else has told you something and you heard say does not make it a fact for you. If you're going to act on something, then you need to go and find out. Please hear this. You need to go and find out what the facts are. You must do that. You say, well, I don't have the time to do that. Then you don't have the right to act upon it then. You need to set that subject aside from your life. You need to see the problem with it is once you hear something, now you are a, a steward of that information. <clears throat> and now you're required by God to act upon that thing in a godly way and in a proper way. And you say, well, I don't have all the facts, so what am I going to do with this? You need to set it aside. You need to go before God and say, God, I don't know all about this thing. And I, I'll be honest, it stirs me up, God, and it does this to me, and I cannot handle this. So what I'm going to do, God, I'm going to bring this thought captive to the Lord, and I'm going to turn it over to you and trust you because God always judges righteously. You always do. Just help me to maintain a clear thought and a clear mind. People have gone up to talk to somebody, and I'll just say in churches, and, and when you have gone to talk to this person, and you have other friends that are around you or in, at work or in your family, and they have heard things about this person, then all of a sudden you become suspect. And now they're angry at you because you're hobnobbing, and I don't know what that means, but you're running around with, who made those words up? You're running around with somebody who you heard say uh, has done this thing. Guys, that's, such, that's so wrong. That's so ungodly. It's not right. And we listen to what people say, and we act on those things. We jump to conclusions. We want to hang somebody up to, to dry. Uh, we want to take them out. We want to make them look as bad as we possibly can because I heard say, and you know, my judgment is right. And when I've judged on something, then don't, don't question me. I've heard people say that. You don't, don't question me. Well, if you can show it to me in the Word of God or if you can prove to me from that person those facts, then I'm all in with you. But friend, until you know the truth, would that have been a better thing if you had just turned things around? If they had just, you know, they did find out the facts, but they chose to accuse and to malign and to put these people down and then later on said, by the way, now what do you have to say about that? Oh. Oh, is that right? Oh, well. We don't need to come up and fight against you guys. <laughs> We're going to leave you guys alone. You're doing a good job. Catch you later. <laughs> that's embarrassing. I mean, that, that's horrible. That's a horrible way to go about things, guys. And I would just say this for us tonight. Just, if you're going to go on a, on a mission 
to take somebody out, friend, you're going to be the one that gets took out. Eventually you will. You need to be willing to lay things down before God and say, God, I, I, I just need to know what the truth really is. Please know the facts before you draw conclusions about somebody. Those two and a half tribes could have alerted. Here's, here's another one. Everybody listening? Tune back in. We're almost done, I promise. You know, another thing that could have uh, uh, avoided this whole thing is if the two and a half tribes would have gone to the nine and a half tribes and said, hey guys, we have a fear. We're concerned that our kids, your kids going to grow up and that whole story gets told and, and we don't want that to happen and here's what we're going to do. We're going to build as an altar to remind not just our children but your children that we're all one and we serve the same God. And we promise we're not going to uh, offer sacrifice on this altar. We know it's not right. Um, and and we just want you guys to know what's going on and just, just uh, try to head some, uh, some trouble off. Don't you know and understand that they'd have probably said, man, that's, that's so good that you don't want to get separated from us and for us to think lightly of you years down the road. And sure, you guys go ahead and do that. I mean, that's another way that could have been averted as well. And uh, to Christianity, um, might do us good to think something through a little bit before we go into an action, before we start doing some things that we think are just perfectly fine. Have you ever looked behind you, please listen, you ever looked behind you and seen a, a whole trail of people that are laying there wounded and bruised as you're going through life, just serving God, enjoying your whole life, and there's people falling all around you and you don't understand why? Maybe if you had taken the time to explain a few things, and, and uh, to make sure you uh, uh, let others know what you're about to do and what your purpose and your intent and that you do want unity. I, I don't want division. It's my goal and desire. You might learn some better ways to do some things. I think that word is called um, communication, being willing to talk. Christians getting together with Christians and being willing to share and open up and don't just assume so many things. And I've heard it said so many times in my life and in so many places I've heard this comment. You know, I, I've, you know, I would say something like, why don't you guys, uh, you know, if you think it through a little bit, you know, others would not have maybe had these thoughts about you or wondered why these things were going on. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, that's their problem? I've heard that a lot. I've heard it in churches, I've heard it in families, I've heard it at work. And I will tell you this, friend, if it involves your family, if it involves somebody you're working with, it's yours. And you need to work, learn how to work with people. And I understand we're going to make our mistakes, sure. And our intentions may have been good, I understand that. But I'm simply saying, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let's do everything we can to erase some kind of confusion or doubt that could have come up and make sure that we just work in unity. And again, one more time, um, make sure you know the facts before you go running headlong into something, trying to straighten something out. That in reality, you have no business doing so without the facts in your hand. A lot of forethought and fact-checking uh, almost wiped out. A lack of, a lack of forethought. And fact-checking almost wiped out several hundred thousand Israelites mistakenly. I would just challenge you tonight. I don't, I don't know where 
you are with family, with friends, with somebody in your heart and in your life. God brings back to you a, a circumstance, uh, maybe a situation in your life that uh, God would remind you of. Could I just challenge you to understand all God wants is unity, and what brings about unity is the truth of the Word of God in every one of those circumstances. Um, I've told you before that <clears throat> I've preached messages and I've offered the invitation and I couldn't wait for the invitation to get done to run to my office because God had convicted me so strongly about a situation with a family that I had dealt with and I had dealt with them in a wrong way. And I had been so convicted about that and God uh, allowed me that very night to get in touch with them and to work things out and to ask God to um, help me to, to make things right with that family. It's, it was so good to be able to do that. So I, I just want to challenge us tonight. Make sure we're not those who are jumping to conclusions, but we're finding out what God has to say about something before we go into action. Amen? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. And again, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.